Hello, my friend. Before we start this amazing episode, I want to invite you to the personal Patreon page of this podcast. If you love what's being done here and want to keep the podcast and the meditations free to the public, then you can come on over to our brand new community on Patreon and donate $11.11 a month and all proceeds will go towards keeping this free, keeping this going. Plus, we'll be building a community together and I'll give you bonus material. You can explore this option in the description of this podcast or just go to patreon.com slash Dr. Reese. Let's begin. Welcome to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese. A program that can help you become liberated in the modern world. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin W. Reese. So do you have a puppy mind? Welcome to episode number 126. Today, I'm talking with Andrew Jordan Nance. He's a mindfulness teacher for children and the author of such children's books as Puppy Mind and The Lion in Me. So sit down, relax, and take in this beautiful and important recording. Let's begin. Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. What's puppy mind? Puppy mind is that wandering part of our mind that sometimes pulls us into the past and into the future without our permission. Um, It's that daydreaming part of our minds. So um, yeah, that's what it is. And there's a book you wrote a children's book. There's a book called puppy mind. Mm -hmm. And I chose the term puppy mind and it's not my, my expression, I had heard about it from Jack Cornfield talks about the puppy mind. Um, and I saw it in a curriculum that I read once. And I just liked that concept uh, rather than the term monkey mind, which is a very used Buddhist expression. Um, but I didn't like the idea of chaining a monkey, of controlling a monkey. You know, monkeys are wild animals, but dogs and humans have been in consort together for millennia. True. And I just I just thought that was a little bit kinder and more user-friendly and more relatable than a yeah. while. <clears throat> yeah. So now you can take the, the teachings and the message of this children's book and you can bring it to the classroom because you go around teaching children mindfulness, right? That's right. That's right. And one of the ways we start this conversation of the puppy mind is I'll say, where does your mind like to daydream about? Or where, where does your mind like to wander without your permission? What happy place does your mind like to go to? And they all have a response, you know, whether it's um, their favorite fast food restaurant or their auntie's house or their upcoming birthday party or the great vacation they took over the summer. Um, You know, the list just is endless. Um, And so it, it really sets the stage for understanding that we all have this mind that likes to wander and it's our job to just get it to 
come back to the present one kind breath at a time. I also like to say that, you know what, we don't want to get rid of our puppy minds. Uh, the puppy mind gets us to that amazing vacation that we were on or gets us to that birthday party or uh, allows us to think about our favorite food or our favorite video game or whatever. So we don't want that to go away. That's our imagination, basically. It's just we don't want it running the show. And as you know, being human, you know, we think unconscious thoughts all the time. And what I love about mindfulness is it's about waking up a little bit to remember to be conscious, to remember to notice what's happening here and now, rather than living in the past or hoping for some sort of future. Mm. Yeah, it's about paying attention. Yeah, yeah, with kindness, with kindness, with you know. Kindness. Sometimes they say without judgment, but you know what? If judgment shows up, then that's that's okay. We got to be kind to judgment too. So um, that's that's a really I think important um, part of the equation is with whatever shows up, greet it with kindness, curiosity, and care. Yeah. So what what type of responses and incidents have you seen in the classroom doing puppy mind with the children? Right. Most of it's been really uh, well received. Uh, the kids really uh, like the idea. They, they get the idea. And in fact, <clears throat> I bring in a, I'll, I'll show you, your audience won't be able to see it, but I bring in this little puppy here. It's a stuffed animal puppy mm. and he's very cute. And I have a puppeteering background so I can make it kind of look alive if I wanted to. And, um, <laughs> And uh, I'll, I'll have a list in my binder and I'll, it has all the kids' names and I'll just, every week I'll go down the list and I'll give a kid an opportunity to be the puppy sitter. And what I'll say is, all right, I'd like you to hold this puppy, you know, um, Jonathan, and uh, I want you to just see if you can let him fall asleep in your lap. And if you start, if I start to notice that he's up on your shoulder or he's up on your head or you're tossing him back and forth, I know that your puppy mind's taken over. So I'll, I might say, oh, Jonathan, careful, take a breath. And then he'll, he'll be doing this and be like, oh my goodness, I had no idea I was even throwing the puppy around because he, he knows the directions. It's not hard and he'll just put him back in his lap and he'll begin again. And that's what mindfulness or meditation specifically is, is noticing when the mind or body wanders um, and to come back. You know, we've all probably been, or whoever meditates out there, you know, sometimes you notice you start playing with your shirt collar or your itching or yeah, yeah. whatever. And you're like, oh, look at me itch. I don't need to actually do this for a minute. I could probably stop now. <laughs> And, uh, and you come back and you're, and you're kind about it. You're not like, you know, hopefully you have an awareness that, you know, it's no big deal. You know, it's just an opportunity to begin again and take a breath. Yeah. So important to, to teach children this and show them this, because I was just telling someone this the other day that man, if somebody could have just pulled me over to the side when I was younger and said, hey, your thoughts aren't real. Mm. Wow. Mm -hmm. That would have been a game changer right there. Yeah. Because yeah. that's the reality, isn't it? That we're just projecting imagination. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, they're not, they're not um, required. <laughs> they're not required reading, you know, just because you're having a thought doesn't mean you have to act on it or, or hold on to it or follow it. Um, I actually just wrote a manuscript called thoughts are like itches and we don't have to scratch every itch or think every thought. And that's also, I think, part of the equation. Um, and uh, yeah. And so, you know, we just want to notice, oh boy, I am all over the map today, or I'm, or I'm thinking about that trip tomorrow or whatever it is. And I can come back. I just need to wake up enough to do it. When we know that they're not real, mm. it takes the charge off of it. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. They're just suggestions. And, but you know, if they go negative, right. you know, some people have, you know, the automatic negative thoughts spewing yeah. out. Right. I would think that's, that's a big cause of the term they call depression. Yeah. Yeah. You might be right. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's not believing everything we think, you know, um, these, these thoughts, just like emotions, just kind of float by and we have to decide whether they're, they're ours to hold or keep, um, you know, we have to be discerning, um, for, you know, I love, I, you know, I love that concept of thoughts aren't real. Um, and I don't bring it up with the kids because I actually find it a little confusing, um, um, just in my own head. So I wouldn't be able to articulate it probably yeah. as well. But, um, but, uh, it's probably more of a teaching for a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps. I don't know. I I've just never worked with those terms before. Um, just, you know, like I said, it's just, you know, it's just a, it's just a bubble. It's just this, you yeah. know, just this, these bubble of thoughts just percolate up and it's, it's up to us what we grab onto. And in fact, I play this really fun game that anyone can do with kids is you get a bottle of bubbles and you say, okay, I'm going to blow bubbles over your head. And you can have like four or five kids. You would have one kid, whatever. And I want you to grab all the bubbles you can as, as much as you can. And so I'll do it and they'll giggle and have fun and, and whatnot. And I of course say, be careful not to hurt anyone or hit anyone. Um, so I'll say, Okay, that's what we do with our thoughts all day, every day. We grab the thought bubbles constantly, and it can be exhausting. Now I want you to just be totally still, and I'm going to blow the bubbles like I did before, but this time I want you to just notice the bubbles as they fall to the floor and disappear and see what that feels like. What does it feel like to just watch the bubbles go by without having to grab onto every one of them? Mm. And they'll say, you know, it felt better. It felt more relaxed. And they're also proud of themselves for being still, even though they have the impulse to grab a bubble. Cause that's, that's what we do all the time. Don't we is we have a thought and we're like, Oh yeah, that's true. I do need to plan for that event or I need to make my lunch or, you know, whatever, whatever it is, we tend to, we have a thought and we believe it and we think it's true and we think it's imperative to act on it in this moment. And uh, we're sort of hijacked by our thoughts all the time, just like we are emotions. But that's where anxiety comes from. Yeah. Yeah. Someone having 
worrisome thoughts that they they're having trouble taking the charge off of it. That's right. Yeah. And most of the time it's about a future that hasn't happened yet, you know? Yeah. 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 Yeah, The mind is so interesting because isn't it evolution? Like we've evolved into these critical thinking machines. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, it's beautiful. Like we build buildings and make smartphones and can do open heart surgeries and like it's pretty impressive what human beings have accomplished but then at the same time wow there's a lot of anxiety and depression out there and we forget that we also have this body that also has all this wisdom and knowledge and feeling that we don't really connect to i think a lot of times we try to talk ourselves out of, uh, emotions, you know, you know, if you're anxious, you're like, okay, just calm down. It's not a big deal, you know, whatever. But what if it is a big deal? You know, what if, you know, there's a lot to worry about. And what if we just tended to that worry and tended to that anxiety and the sensations that show up with anxiety, you know, is the anxiety in the back of my neck? Is it in my hands? Is it in my belly? And just say, yes, of course, of course you're anxious. You know, this thing has happened or this thing might happen, or you're going through something right now. Of course, you know, just that to turn towards it with kindness, I think might help a lot of people with anxiety. Um, because, you know, we're not supposed to be happy all the time. That's, you know, imagine, you know, thousands of years ago, you know, uh, cavemen were not happy all the time. Cave people were not happy all the time. They were worried about their next meal and the next thunderstorm or the next snowstorm or the next, you know, uh, saber tooth tiger or whatever, you know? So it's not, I don't, I don't know, you know, they talk about, you know, the sort of the natural peace and ease of, um, the human experience, but yes, that's part of it, but also, you know, we're just the full catastrophe where the, we have so many different emotions that are, are pleasant and unpleasant. And I think if we can get comfortable with the unpleasant, we're going to have richer lives. You know, I think I'm not, I'm not here talking about mindfulness to uh, encourage, you know, happiness all the time. I'm, I'm more interested in having people be able to ride the waves with some more skill and care of life than, than have this flatlined, you know, life that never has any, you know, big emotions or big moments or big thoughts. Um, I want people to just learn how to be skillful with it all. Yeah. If you become enlightened, you're almost like a, a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> keep, what do you mean? Keep going. What do you mean by that? Oh, I've met enlightened people. They, uh-huh. they, uh, there's no, there's no roller coaster ride. Right. Right. Yeah. So there's no, cause their mind is relaxed. Yeah. 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 It's, 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 it, you know, they only use it when they need it. Right. So there is no anxiety and depression. So that yeah. was good, but and, mm-hmm. they also don't, they also don't care mm-hmm. naturally. Cause if your mind doesn't work, right. What is there to care about? Right. 
Right. Right. So, <laughs> uh, so it, it's really, it's interesting. It's like the most peaceful thing ever, but then at the same time, you know, don't rely on that person to come, come help you mm, because, possibly. because they're, they're already in their, their little heaven. Mm, right. Yeah. For me, it's been, um, and I'm certainly not enlightened, obviously, but um, I do find that when life gives you some hard stuff or gives me hard stuff, I, I suffer less, you know, I still feel the pain of, oh boy, uh, you know, my husband's in the hospital. Okay. Wow. This, this is, this is going to be challenging. So, right, right. you know, let's get my wits about me here and, you know, take some breaths and be as skillful as I can in this really difficult situation rather than <clears throat> suffer, you know, pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. Right. And suffering really does come from the mind's relationship to painful experiences. You know, it's like yeah. when you hurt your arm. Yes, you have all this pain in your arm, but your brain is going, oh my God, now I can't write, or I've got to, I've got to drive tomorrow. How am I going to be able to drive? You know, your mind starts panicking, like, oh my, will my arm ever work again? You know, it just goes down these rabbit holes, uh, suffering rabbit holes. And that's part of it. It's just going, all right, let's just tend to the pain here. Yeah. Just see what it's like. And, you know, let's be skillful here, but we don't need to catastrophize or future trip. That's right. That's right. Uh, the Buddha talked about, you know, the two arrows, you know, mm -hmm. you're going to get arrows all the time, but it's on you if the second arrow comes. Yeah, that's that, right. That's the suffering arrow. That's right. Because pain is inevitable. Yep, exactly. We live in a world that flip-flops between pleasure and pain, pleasure and pain, pleasure mm -hmm. and pain. And it's, we our, so, it's our reaction to it. That's right. And we so, we so don't want pain in our lives, right? Mm -hmm. We, we lean towards the pleasant and we, you know, repel towards the mm -hmm. unpleasant. And that's what I love about mindfulness is it's saying it's all interesting. It's all interesting. Get curious when unpleasant shows up, just like when pleasant shows up, because there's so much to learn from the unpleasant, you know, because often we get hijacked, we feel hijacked by unpleasant feelings and thoughts. But if we just uh, turn towards it, um, it's really, really liberating. Yeah. Yeah. Mindfulness is like a tool, right? That's right. So now you have this toolbox and sometimes emotions can get trapped. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you deal with it on the spot, it's a much better uh, method than repressing it. And then all of a sudden, you know, you, you blow like a pressure cooker a year That's later. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, you know, and I have to say adults often will do that with kids. You know, they'll mm -hmm. see a kid having an uncomfortable emotion and they become uncomfortable. You know, you can imagine yourself like on a plane, right? You hear some unknown baby screaming three aisles back or three rows back. And, you know, many of us are like, oh my God, someone fix that, you know, 
go flight attendant, mom, dad, whoever, caregiver, fix that baby. And because we feel all this uncomfortability coming up and we don't know what to do with it. We can't say anything. We can't do anything. And we just kind of want to lose it. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but that's happened yeah. to me in the past. Yeah. And, um, and that's what happens to us in uh, when we're with when we see kids being uncomfortable, you know, if they, we see them crying or angry, we tend to mirror them rather than take a breath, find our, you know, connection to ourselves and our, to our own emotional landscape so that we can attend to their disease or discomfort. Um, but we don't often do that. We often just try to go in and swoop in and fix it and say, snap out of it or, you know, it's just a toy or why are you crying? You know, calm down. And what I love to do with kids when I see them in distress is first check in with myself, take those breaths and then uh, attend to the child's discomfort. And I'll say, um, you know, boy, it looks like you're having a big emotion and they'll nod their heads and um, I'll uh, say, do you feel hot or cold right now? And they'll say, I feel hot. Uh, and do you feel big or little? And often they'll say, I feel little, <laughs> or is your heart beating fast or slow? Um, and I kind of do this whole body scan, you know, um, is your mind busy or still? Do you feel tense or relaxed? Um, does your heart feel open or closed? Um, and, um, and then I'll say, you know, do you think you could wiggle your feet for me? And if they can't wiggle their feet, I actually know that their prefrontal cortex is offline and they really are still in it. So I'll say, let's, um, let's choose your favorite way to breathe. So they might say, all right, let's do um, breathing ball breath. And actually they usually can't talk at that point, but they'll, they'll probably put their fingers together and they'll do breathing ball breath. And you just basically open and close your hands to create a ball with every in breath. Um, or they'll might do spidey breathing where you, you bring your ring finger in your, uh, your index finger in and out with every breath. Um, <clears throat> and that helps them. Spider-Man to the rescue. That's right. Exactly. Superhero. I, I have this whole thing about superheroes. I, when we start meditating, I'll say, um, please find your mindful posture. And so sit up like your favorite superhero uh, with a tall back and a relaxed belly and just breathe in. And, uh, and they, they're so cute. A lot of them will go, um, when I say, um, you know, when I start to say the word superhero, they'll say, uh, your favorite superhero. And, uh, so they get, they get a kick out of thinking of themselves as, as super, superhuman. Um, cause I, I always refer to the fact that mindfulness is a little like having a superpower because mm. you're no longer hijacked by every emotion and every thought. Yes. Well put. Now, how about the lion in me? Mm -hmm. Well, the lion in me speaks to what we were just talking about a little bit about naming and taming our inner beast. Um, the book starts off with this little boy in a lunchroom and a girl behind him accidentally trips him and he loses his lunch and he, um, starts getting madder and madder and you can see it in his shoulders 
You can see it in his fists. You can see it on his face. You can see it in his eyebrows. Uh, you can see the heat showing up in his, his cheeks. And um, basically it leads you through what the body is experiencing um, when anger shows up. And um, then he loses his emotion, you know, he loses his himself and he throws things and he basically turns into this whirling lion in the lunchroom in his imagination. That's what he's, he sort of imagines after it happens. He's like, oh my gosh, what just happened there? He's, he's kind of shocked. He doesn't know what happened, but he's sort of just sort of staring ahead and a teacher is comforting him. And um, he realizes that um, if he can remember to take slow, deep breaths, um, he's able to be more skillful when, when anger shows up. So um, he doesn't feel bad about what he did or regret what he did um, or what he said. Um, and so he learns these practices, mostly breathing um, when anger shows its face. Um, however, it also talks about um, uh, you know, going for a walk or talking to an adult or uh, going to read a book and, you know, in a special place, um, which actually happens to be Puppy Mind, which is, I think, really cute that he's reading one of my books in the book. It's very meta. And, uh, <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so there's just, you know, you just think about tools when anger arises, what can we do to be our most skillful? Because of course, we don't want anger to disappear if it's needed. Um, you know, anger in a dark alley is needed, you know, um, anger in a bad marriage perhaps is needed. Um, anger, you know, when you're, you know, when you're worried about your physical safety might be needed. Um, so there really are no negative or positive emotions. They're just big, uncomfortable uh, emotions that, that need to be tended to. So, so that book is basically about him learning to master his, uh, his most challenging emotion, which is anger. Mm. Um, and because of it, he learns how to make friends, how to share, um, uh, how to, uh, you know, just connect with himself better as well. So, mm. so that's one, actually, that's my favorite of all the books. Um, Puppy Mind is a, is a bestseller. Um, the Lion in Me, I think is just newer. So it hasn't gotten out there into the world, um, but it really teaches us to look inward uh, when difficult emotions arise. Yeah. Great skills for children. How many children's books have you written? I've written four. I've written four. Um, and uh, plus in this curriculum that I've written, which is uh, about 300 pages long, there's 13 stories in there. And uh, they're from around the world, stories that I found just on the internet. And I turn them into uh, stories that um, have a mindful quality to them. And they're all rhyming. Um, you know, there's the tale of two wolves. There's the silver, silver deer king. There's what size is kindness, which is an African folktale about a rat and a hunter. And, um, and yeah, just, you know, different, different stories about gratitude, about compassion, about kindness, about curiosity, about the breath, um, about looking for the good, 
one of the games we play with the kids is find the pleasant in the present. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we imagine that we might be in a junkyard and kids, I'll have them close their eyes if they want, and they can raise their hand when they see something in the junkyard, uh, in this imaginary junkyard that makes them smile. Right. So it might, yeah, so it might be a cat or, a, or an old Xbox or a bike or a, you know, an old tire they get to roll around or the blue sky, you know, it it doesn't have to be anything amazing. It can just be something so simple and, you know, we'll just give them different scenarios, you know, a traffic jam, um, a crowded uh, school bus, um, a busy uh, or rainy day or a snowy day, you know, what can you, what can you find in your world that makes you smile? Because as you know, the negativity bias is really strong and we can train ourselves to look for the good uh, more and more if we want to. And, um, and I think it's a really good skill to have. Yeah. Well, you just said the key word training. Yeah. Yeah. You know, not too long ago, I was talking to someone who is is very religious, a Jehovah witness. Mm -hmm. And she says to me, you know, I'm thinking about taking a mindfulness class. And I thought to myself, well, mindfulness is really becoming mainstream here because, you know, mindfulness is, uh, it's, it's, it's really a Buddhist idea. In fact, I, if I'm not mistaken, Gautama, the Buddha, you actually used the term mindfulness. This is 2,600 years ago. Mm. Is this mainstream mindfulness, is this just Buddhism hidden? Right. You know, I love that question. And I, I have two answers to it. One, the short answer is probably yes. But the, on the other hand, I would say that mindfulness is our birthright, you know, you know, if, if you think about, you know, those cave people that we were talking about, imagine how mindful they needed to be in order to survive, you know, to hunt well, to fish well, to, to mate well, to find their, their people, uh, to, to notice the elements, you know, to notice that the storm, that there's a storm coming. Imagine how connected with themselves and with the environment they were before, um, before the, they even, you know, Buddha even showed up. Um, so, so what I love about Buddhism though, is that it, it really is just a science of the mind. It's this, this, this ability to learn how to notice whatever shows up in the body and the heart and the mind. Um, I actually, one of the things I don't like about the term mindfulness is that it's, it's, it's sort of a misnomer because yep. we really want to be checking in with our body a lot and checking in with our hearts a lot. Um, sometimes the mind is so busy with thoughts that it's almost like, all right, I'm just going to let you do your thing up there, but I'm going to tend to my, my tense shoulders and my beating heart and my tight belly, you know, um, and my, my knocking knees, um, and just breathe and, and be gentle with, with all the primal sensations that the body is trying to, uh, send to me, you know, and uh, so it's an interesting word. I'm, I have to say, yeah, I'm just not a huge fan of the word mindfulness, you know, not either. 
Yeah, you know, someone was saying kindfulness is a is a sweet mm. way to think of it. My favorite is watchfulness. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It's a noticing practice, you know. I like that a lot. Um so is it is it watered down? You know, in some ways perhaps it needs to be because, you know, we're not all ready to be monks and study this 24. <laughs> Sometimes we just need little tidbits, you know, little things that we can hook onto and I I don't think the Buddha gets enough credit. Yeah. Because humans, of course, created a religion out of it, right? And then it can't just be one religion. We have to break it off into original, Zen, Tibetan. Yeah. Right. We we gotta we gotta have different kinds. You know, Christianity became 20 different kinds. Yeah. You know, what this man brought to the world is, you know, arguably the greatest contribution ever. Yeah. And that, and that he didn't bring any gods into it. You know, I love that about it. It's really just, you know, that life is unreliable or, you know, life is, has suffering. Um, I like the word unreliable for some reason, um, because it is, you know, it's just darn it. It's just unreliable. (laughs) Um, we don't always get what we want. Um, and sometimes we get what we want, but, uh, you know, I just love that it's just about looking inward, that watchfulness you're talking about. Um, and uh, and there's, no, some, there's no one sort of watching us, you know, judging us, um, you know, sh- shaming us. Um, and that's, that's a pretty cool way to live. It's just, yeah. you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be kind to myself and others because it feels good. Yeah. Yeah. He, he left God out of it. And that's yeah. not to say that he didn't believe in God. Right. He, he just yeah. kept it out of the practice. Yeah. Which is interesting yeah. because in his last sermon, his last sutra, he talks about devas, which are in those day in the, in that religion, in that era, that those are basically angels. Mm. Yeah. Or ascended masters, however you want to put it. I love that. Yeah. But it's but it's, I, it's yeah, buried. It's buried. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I know some Buddhist traditions did come up with the right gods and things like that, yeah, but yeah. I, you know, I'm no expert on Buddhism. Um, I just really, you know, intuitively really connected with mindfulness and um, I really just find it such a valuable life skill for me. Sure. You know, one thing I, I, I wanted to just mention, I didn't finish uh, talking about my last book, which is the barefoot King, okay. which is, really sweet story about a young king who stubs his toe and uh, tries to change the world, but winds up learning how to change his mind instead. And it's a beautiful, beautiful book. Shambhala Press out of Boulder uh, published it for me and were with me. And I just love it. And it's, and it's about, um, it comes from a teaching of Shanti Deva, who was a Buddhist monk thousands of years ago. And he was sort of, I think they called him like the custodian of the monastery or something. He wasn't thought to be that bright, uh, but some of the other uh, monks said, hey, Shanti Deva, why don't you come and give a talk? And um, and you know, in the hall tonight, and he was like, okay. So he, he goes in and he gives this incredible talk 
Uh, and at the very end, he levitates out of the hall and is never seen from again. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just love that concept that, you know, we just, that we all have something to learn from each other if we just uh, notice it. And uh, it's a really, it's a really sweet story. It's funny. Um, and uh, it comes from the idea that um, if we cover the whole world in leather, uh, it's a ridiculous idea, but what if we just put leather on our feet and that way we can protect ourselves from the harms, many of the harms of the world. Mm. And it is an analogy to mindfulness is that often we spend our whole lives wishing the world were different than it was so we can be happy. But what if we tend to our own mind, hearts, and bodies um, first, so therefore we can move through the life with more ease and skill. And so your background, you have stage experience, you're in, in the plays and puppets and all that. And so now you're kind of bringing those skills over and you've created what you call mindful arts, right? right. So now, right. now you're spreading the message of mindfulness to children. That's right. Yeah. I learned, um, God, about nine years ago, I went to the Greater Good Science Center to uh, learn about social and emotional learning. And I uh, didn't know what to expect, but Mindful Schools was there, which is an online organization that teaches teachers how to bring mindfulness into the classroom. And they started playing mindful games at this symposium. And I... Um, I was just so fascinated because these mindful games were actually theater games that I played in college and in my rehearsals, both as an actor and director. And it just, you know, kind of cracked me up in a way because I felt like I had sort of been learning how to be mindful on stage for years and years and years, but I really hadn't thought of how could I bring this to my own life? Um, and, uh, and it was just this aha moment. So I learned that both what I realized was both mindfulness and theater training invite the participants to use their breath, to connect with their minds, hearts, and their bodies mm -hmm. so that they can be their most skillful. Um, you know, we want to be really listening to each other, you know, a hundred percent on stage. We want to be seeing each other a hundred percent. We don't want to be thinking about the past or future or worried about things we can't control. Like, what does the reviewer in the audience think, or, right. you know, my mother in the audience think, or what's for dinner after the show, you know, none of that. We just want to keep coming back again and again. And then if our want, minds wander off, especially on stage, I might go, Oh my gosh, I'm thinking about a million things. I can't hear what Kevin's saying right now. I let me, let me come back to Kevin. Okay. Kevin just smiled. Kevin just moved his shoulders, you know, and I, and I do this sort of mind meld with you a little bit. So I'm back in the moment again, um, but it's an awareness. It's awareness process where you're, you notice when you're not in the moment and you come back. And that is a hundred percent what mindfulness is. Um, it is. Yeah. And so it's almost like life training. You know, I, th I think every actor would say to you, like, uh, you know, 
acting is like life training. You know, there's no, I think it's no accident that if you're around theater people, they're very engaged, you know, they might be annoying because they're so, you know, kind of, they try to fill the room with their, you know, presence and energy, but they're certainly nowhere else, but there, you know, a lot of times you'll look around like a party, let's say, you know, there'll be people sitting on a couch by themselves, nervous, drinking, and they're, they're, they're a million miles away, but often a theater person, especially maybe not film actors, but theater people are really, really in the moment and are interested in connecting in some way with what's happening right here, right now. Yeah. If you're going to be an actor, especially on stage live, yeah, you got to be present. Big yeah. Time. Yeah. And uh, I can relate. I, I used to be a radio and television personality. Oh, wow. And when you're live, that's it. I, I mean, I was, you know, you, you can't hop on a microphone and start babbling or lose your place. And in mm-hmm. radio, it's very time oriented in radio or all broadcasting is time oriented. There, there's, there's a countdown, right? Like, okay. You got 60 seconds to deliver this message. Right. And sometimes you got 10 seconds to deliver this message. So you're present. Right. And, and so I can relate to what you're saying and, um, and just like you, I came, you know, I switched careers and I decided to, you know, make a children's book. So I did that, but with health. So what's the name of it? Sunlight Sunny. Cute. It's a superhero. Oh, I love that. What health, health superhero. I love it. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. No more. I'll Google it. Not too popular yet. I created a nonprofit organization around it. Okay. If I remember correctly, you partnered with a nonprofit. That's right. Smart. That's right. Smart. I created my own thinking it was going to be easy and it wasn't. Yeah. Because it's still not off the ground because it requires help. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just solo Kevin. It can't be. No, you need a board of directors and all that. A development person, somebody to help you go raise money. Yeah. Oh, Lordy. I just didn't. So it's taking years. Yeah, no, it's it. That was I, I'm so glad that I went down this road of just figuring out who was already in the schools and how I could work with them to get mindfulness uh, in their programming. And it it just was seamless. You know, they were doing uh, tutoring for math and English literacy. Um, and I said, well, do you mind if I just have, I already have the teacher. Can I just use you all to get fingerprinted and whatnot and get a badge? And, and that's how it started. And I was in two classes for, uh, two kindergarten classes for the first year. And then after that, it just grew and grew. And now we have over 40 volunteers. We have, we hired a program coordinator people send us money. We don't often even apply for money. I've had two grants in the last year uh, that have given us uh, one for $10,000. And then three months ago, a family foundation out of Seattle saw us online and sent us $12,000. And oh, wow. I know, and it's just, it's just, it's a beautiful thing. Um, you know, I think 
I think people see the value in helping kids with their mental health. Um, sure. Uh, especially these days, you know, um, you know, we've, we've seen that in the Olympics, you know, someone dropped out, said that, yes, you know, her, her, her mind was not in the game and yeah. she yeah. didn't want to risk her life uh, to sort of entertain us all. And I just thought that was so beautiful that she was skillful enough to know this was not in her best interest, even though the world said, you know, entertain us. Um, And then of course, you know, uh, the mental health of kids has really been shine uh, shown a flashlight on uh, because of, you know, wearing masks in school is, is challenging. Um, uh, Being at home for the last 18 months was really challenging. you know, having stressed out parents is hard to be around, you know? So, uh, it was, it's really been, um, an interesting, uh, unfolding in the last two years. Um, and perhaps, perhaps, you know, there will be some good out of it. When does it end? (laughs) It never does. does. That's what's, that's, what's amazing about this, this being human is that there's always something. There's always something. And that's why these skills are so valuable. Well, I like your saying that life is unreliable. It's so, yeah. it's so very true. Right. It's just this roller coaster ride up and down and up and down. And if you think you're just always going to be up, you know, it's just not going to happen. No, no. Unless you become an enlightened master, which. Right. But yeah, but then, you know, but then do you then do you not get to grieve? You know, I, I find, you know, I, I lost my dog about six months ago and, mm. you know, I just was so sad and I just thought, you know what, this is how much I know how to love and how I can love. And I wouldn't want to admit, I wouldn't want that to go away. You know, I, I don't, if, if enlightened master means if someone dies that I'm like, eh, oh, well, you know, good luck, you know, uh, they'll be back. Right. Back in the next life. Exactly. I don't know if I want to be there. I'd rather, like I said, be skillful when big emotions show up and just, um, tend to tend to myself and, you know, practice good self-care when I'm going through a big emotional, uh, experience, you know, cause I really, I I may have said this already, but I really believe that there are no negative emotions, that there's just uncomfortable, big, difficult uh, emotions, but negative or positive uh, to me have no value. About 10 years ago, you lost your mother. Yeah. Yeah. And and how, how did you deal with that? Yeah, that was um, pretty beautiful, uh, and stark. Um, but I got to my boss bless his soul and heart. He's still alive. Um, he allowed me to take a sabbatical for seven weeks and care for my mom. So I was with her. My sister was with her. She had a, my mom had a really good friend named Billy who tended to her as well. Uh, so we all lived in the same house together up in the mountains and we had a healthcare provider come in. And so it was really this incredible gift to be with her. Um, and then, um, oddly when she passed, um, 
certainly, you know, missed her and cried and whatnot, but there was some really, you know, I don't think your show is that woo woo, but there was some really weird things that happened as soon as she passed. Um, and, uh, and still to this day, uh, things show up and I think, Oh, this is my mom saying hi. Um, and, uh, you know, just like one kind of ghost story thing is we, we had a, uh, we have an, uh, cuckoo clock or a, a grandfather clock up on the wall where she passed. And it's, it's a, it's our cabin that we've had since the seventies and um, below the cuckoo cl- uh, grandfather clock is a bunch of stuff that she valued uh, uh, while she was passing, you know, a uh, little teddy bear and things like that. Um, a scarf that she liked to wear around her neck. Um, but on the grandfather clock, the pendulum was a picture of my mother, uh, that I had taken and it was very ethereal picture. It was really beautiful. And one day I'm cleaning in there a couple of weeks after she passed and I hear this music and I'm like, music, who has some radio on or whatever it is at, you know, 11 in the morning. So I look over at the radio, which we actually never use and that's off. It's not working. And then I look over at the grandfather clock and there is the pendulum going back and forth just ever so slightly with my mom's picture on it. And the clock is trying to chime. And this thing we haven't used in 20 years, maybe 25, maybe 30 um, there. We hated it actually, because um, it it was one of those uh, clocks that chimed every 15 minutes. So uh, it was just so annoying. So we actually kind of hid the key. um, And, but on this particular day, with my mother's picture on the chime, it started to move back and forth and was sort of uh, playing this, this music. Um, it wasn't, you know, gonging or anything. And uh, so, so anyway, so I didn't really talk about my emotions around my mom's passing, but there was just this beauty to it and this sort of uh, otherworldly to it, otherworldliness to it. Um, and of course I miss her and, but I think about her all the time and, I really do feel like she's with me. So I I'm guess I'm not, I'm not that Buddhist because, um, mm-hmm. because I don't know if Buddhists think of, you know, the spirit in that way, but, mm-hmm. but I, um, I certainly, it's certainly changed my relationship to the departed when my mom passed. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I, I've had lots of actually uh, very close friends pass and loved ones pass. And I never had that uh, spiritual experience. Um, wasn't really anticipating it with my mom. It just, you know, you know, I've had, had seven weeks to be with her and massage her feet and, you know, and get her that, you know, ice cream that she liked, you know, at night and, you know, and so there wasn't this feeling of, oh my gosh, you know, one minute more, one minute more. Um, I really just felt like, you know, we had just this lovely relationship. Mm. Uh, and uh, so, so I, you know, I, I often wonder, well, is just, is this just, you know, a son grieving their parent? Um, and it might be part of that, but it, it really didn't feel like that and continues not to feel like that. So you had the opportunity to be in service to your mom in her last yeah. weeks. Yeah. 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 That's it was cool. really, it was really lovely. That's cool. Yeah. 
and 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 what a blessing for her yeah how yeah. many how many people get that opportunity that's right that's right no she was she was a lovely human being and um uh, yeah, she just had so many friends and loved ones and just, she was kind of like Lucille Ball in a way. She just always was making people laugh and she was very physical with her comedy. Um, I don't know if I said this, but she was deaf. So she used, you know, her hands a lot and her body a lot to convey what she was thinking or, or saying. And, um, so she, she was quite, quite a comedian. Completely deaf. Completely deaf. Yeah, yeah. Her she whole was, life. Whole life. Yeah, she was born deaf. Uh, my father was was deaf. He lost his hearing when he was sixteen, and um, so it was really, you know, it was really interesting growing up with deaf parents because, again, I feel like that taught me some mindfulness too, because you have to really be focused on someone's face when you're talking with them to a deaf person, they have to be able to read your lips or, you know, see your hands move. Um, you can't be looking away. I remember my mom always used to kind of gently grab my chin and, and pull me towards her face a little bit. So she knew that I was hearing her because in her head, if I wasn't, you know, if I was looking down at a comic or something or watching television, she didn't believe that I was hearing her. So she would take my chin and make sure that I was watching her mouth move. Um, so, so that was a real mindfulness practice for me too, is to mm -hmm. just really look at someone in the eyes when they're speaking, which often isn't the case with human beings. Sure. Uh, so, so yeah. Um, so that, and, and so it sounds like she completely, you know, surrendered to her disability and made a yeah. nice life for herself. Yeah, she really did. She traveled, um, uh, on her own sometimes to Europe, uh, quite a bit, uh, to other countries besides Europe quite a bit. Um, she was uh, kind of fearless, um, and she died in her when she was 75. And so, yeah, it was pretty, she pretty remarkable woman. I, I, you know, I kind of feel like one day I'll kind of be like her when I grow up. Um, <laughs> but uh, just, just really was fearless and would talk to anyone, you know, she, you know, she was deaf, so she had an unusual speech pattern, but she would just go up to a stranger and say, you know, look, I'm deaf, but I need to get to, you know, this building or wherever, can you help me? And often people would help her. And, um, you know, she's just, you know, you hear people say that, that, you know, they never met a stranger. Well, that was my mom. She just never met a stranger and, and, uh, and always looked toward for the good. She was just always upbeat, you know, and never saw her depressed. Um, it was just a real, uh, just a real lover of life. Well, I think there's a lesson there, yeah. you know? Yeah. Cause a lot of people fall into the hole of their limitations mm. and, and they let it, you know, bring them down and it affects their life. Yeah. And my mom would loved being deaf. My father actually didn't like being deaf, but my mother loved being deaf. She felt like, especially, you know, she wore hearing aids periodically, not that much as she got older because it just was a pain, but, um, but she would love to turn off her hearing aids at night. And she's like, ah, yes, I don't have to hear anything. I just, <laughs> um, 
sounds because you know think about it we hear so many different sounds oh and, yeah 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 and we're on our brain is used to it but imagine if you you know you know at a party let's say okay i've got to put in my hearing aid so i can really hear people imagine what your brain is having to deal with when you hear you know a dish breaking in the kitchen or someone laughing to your right you know that's a lot of information that you can't quite make out with a hearing aid, you know, um, it's, it's, it was, must've been a little, uh, maddening in a way to have all these sounds that you couldn't quite make out, but we're, we're supposed to. Right. So Andrew, where can someone find you and come say hello? Sure. Go to Andrew J Nance, N A N C E.com or go to mindful arts sf.org and check out what we do in the schools. Uh, we're always looking for volunteers to go into the schools. Uh, if you're in San Francisco, um, we uh, see over a thousand kids a week mm. and uh, we've actually got some um, uh, requests from uh, New Jersey and Sacramento and Los Angeles to start programs like what I'm doing. And um, unfortunately, we don't have the bandwidth to do that. But what's really easy to do is just try to find one teacher who's willing to do a program uh, with you and try it, try it for three or four classes and see, see if um, that hooks them enough to, uh, you know, ask other teachers in the school to to bring the programming into their classroom. So, um, so yeah, it's a, it's a pretty easy program to start and, uh, you just start small. Right on. Well, I love what you're doing, man. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining me today. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to inner peace with Dr. Reese. If this episode opened your heart, feel free to share on social media and tell your loved ones. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, may peace be with you.